Hello. Thank you for joining us today for the Harvest Time Church weekly podcast. As you listen today, we pray that you are richly blessed and that the message would guide you deeper into your walk with Jesus and help you to advance His kingdom here on earth. Have a blessed day. All right. Kiddos, you ready to roll? If your parents get too comfortable, nudge them for me. You know, uh, I was talking to, talking to one family. You know, it's always, we hope it's so enjoyable for the kids and it's not super stressful for you as parents, but I think there has to be that modeling as far as trusting God and, you know, keeping our sanity, keeping the stress levels low with our kids in here. But, you know, one thing we want to do is we know the kids are in here. I am a father of three children, so it's not going to bother me. You know, I know sometimes as a parent, you know, hey, maybe the baby's being too loud or the baby cries. What do we do? Oh, no. Hey, that's what babies do. That, that is a great problem to have in the church. If it was quiet and there wasn't no babies, I think I'd be concerned on the flip side of that. So we are a young church. We have babies in the church. We have new moms in the church. And, you know, we're going to give you grace to work through that. And, you know, even if you got to take them around back and, and then bring them back, whatever you got to do. You know, this gives you the chance to, to model, you know, not just, you know, right, work through it. So we're just going to believe God to do something, continue to do something mighty among us. Uh, we are concluding our series today about the commission. And uh, let's just pray before we jump right in, okay? Father, I thank you for what you're doing and what you've already begun to do. God, I pray that you'd give us open ears. Father, that you'd give us open hearts to receive all that you're doing in our life. Father, we just trust you. We believe in you. And Father, we say, do what you want to do. Father, we pray that you would be glorified in all that we do and say. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're going to conclude our series in the commission today. So during our time together, we really looked at the importance of the local commission, which is the church. Um, we, we, we talked about, you know, the church has to do their part in order for you to be successful in all that God has called you to do, Right. If we don't do our part as a church, we're already setting you kind of up for failure. We're not giving you the resources, we're not challenging you, or not encouraging you. Um, but I think that that's something as, as the church, we have to be. You know, one thing I always in, encourage people to do, if you notice somebody's not here, it's not always my, Pastor Noe's responsibility to know who's here, who's not here. We strive to do the best we can. But if you notice somebody's not here and you got a point of contact for them or you have a way to reach out to them, Give them a call. Send them a text. Now, don't be reprimandive of them and say, hey, you were supposed to be at church today. It's Sunday. Where were you? Right? But say something more along the lines, hey, I noticed you weren't here. Man, I missed your face. I missed your smile. Hope everything's good. But I think it is important that when we know when somebody is missing, right? That's, that's what relationship's all about, right? If I show up and one of my kids is missing and I don't realize it, ooh, Big daddy fell, right? That's where my wife takes up the slack and helps me. But I think we just, as a church, need to look out for each other. The church needs to be the church if you're going to uh, be successful in all you do. So the church's part, it focuses on the training, the equipping, the growing of God's people. Then we focused in, that, in the second uh, topic about the personal commission. This is what the church is supposed to do, but what are you supposed to be doing? So it focused on you know individual living, growing, and doing all that God is leading you to do personally. So the personal commission is focused on you as an individual follower of Christ accomplishing what God has purposefully planned for you to do. Now, I think one of the biggest 
tactics of the enemy is to make him make you think that there's nothing for you to do, that you're living a life of insignificance. But I'm here to speak to you today that God has created every single person in this church under the sound of my voice, maybe watching the stream online, wherever you're at, with a divine specific purpose to impact the earth. And that's a personal commission. That's not, that's not just Pastor Noe's commission, but that's how you apply the commission. So we're going to take these concepts just a little bit further this morning. We're going to talk about the practical mission, right? Because it's, it's good to know what the church's responsibility is, what the personal responsibility as far as that commission looks like, but also think that it, we have to understand what does that look like practically? You know, in school, you ever did the lecture, right? We all know that. And then you have the lab, right? Which is the practical application of you do all the learning and now you apply it. I love the lab application because that's when it started making sense to me. Because until you see what is supposed to be modeled or what we're supposed to be doing, it's hard to connect the dots, right? You know, but when we get the lecture and we get the lab and we mesh those two things together, I think we have the potential to be more successful, right? Amen, kids, or y'all are already checked out? You getting it? Man, he says, Levi's like, I'm surviving. Okay. All right. So, you know, most of the times, do you know, as Christians, we focus internally and on ourselves and getting ourselves right and making sure that, you know, we're focusing on ourselves. But there comes a time in every follower of Christ's life that there's a shifting where God then says, you know what, don't just focus internally and on self, but focus outwardly on others. That, that, that has to come into focus at some point. Now, I'm hoping that happens for most of us earlier rather than later. But I mean, I know sometimes we spend a lifetime, what? Well, hope, you know, just trying to get better, trying to get my life together, trying to figure it all out. How many of you are as old as you've ever been and you're still walking through that? You know, but God wants us to focus on both. He doesn't want us to continually be self-focused, but he wants us to be kingdom-focused. When I talk about these practical concepts, I'm talking about outside the four walls of the church. I'm not talking about just the church within the four walls. I'm not talking about just my personal commission, what I'm supposed to be doing. But what am I supposed to be doing to impact everyone around me? And some of us, I think, are doing it. And maybe some of us aren't doing it. Maybe some of us just don't know what to do. And I'm hoping this morning I help you a little bit, give you a few little nuggets that will kind of catapult you into fulfilling a practical commission for the Lord. Okay? So we have to know that every good gift and every good work that God does for us in our life, do you know that every time he does something in our life, he, so, he most almost every time has others in mind? You know, some of us, you know, we've heard the statement that says, oh, well, I'm God's favorite. You know, he said, you know, said, if God had a refrigerator, my picture would be right there in the middle, you know, and, and I know with siblings, we've always fought about that. Which one's mom's favorite? Right until my two other brothers came along, I was the only boy. So, hey, I'm the oldest. I'm the boy. Like, you know, whatever, like, you know, fighting for that, you know, but I think we really got to see it that, man, we're all God's favorite. I guess God has a real, real big fridge. You know, that he sees our face, he sees us on those things. But we have to know that, you know, um, he gives us these good gifts with others in mind. You know, in Matthew 10, 8, what does it say? It says, freely you have received and just keep it for yourself. Is that what he says? He says, freely you have received, now freely what? Give. Well, a giving, well, tell me, let me tell you what. A giving principle is, is completely opposite of selfish motive. Right? I buy my kids candy all the time. Kids, your parents ever buy you candy? Any of y'all eating candy this morning to keep you quiet? No, not yet, right? 
But, you know, I give them those gifts and then, I, you know, well, two things are happening. I really want some of that candy also, but I'm also trying to say, will they give back to me? Or what's the one thing that we're always going to hear? Somebody that's really selfish and doesn't really get to that place of sharing. What do they say? Uh-uh, mine. And from a young age, you don't have to teach that. Did we ever teach the word, you know, we, we say mama, dada, you know, please. Do we say mine? We teach them that? No? Well, how come we, how comes it comes out of our mind, out of our mouth sometimes? But do our actions present that word in our life? Mine. It's, it's up to me, my own survival. But God says what? No. Freely what you've received, freely give. Amen? Sometimes we've got to learn how to do that, right? Because we're still gripping it just like little kids and we don't want to let it go. But that's what it's all about. Let's look at this passage from the book of James, James 1, 19 through 27 in the NIV. So this is going to kind of get us focusing on what we're talking about, but it talks about the principle of listening and doing. Um, I'm sure if you've been in the church or you've heard a lot of passages, you've probably heard this, but let me go through this context real quick, starting in verse 19. It says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen. Huh? What'd you say? All right. Okay. Quick to listen, slow to speak. And slow to become angry. Verse 20, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and, and evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Verse 22, this is, what it, this is the, kind of the summary. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself, but do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do it is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself, he goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law and gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Okay? So, so those who consider themselves religious yet do not keep a tight rein on, the, rein on their tongue, deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Now, I always read this passage, and it's so funny to me because none of us, well, I mean, I don't. I mean, look in the mirror and I analyze my, maybe if I'm shaving or something, I'm paying attention a little bit, you know, but I never walk away from that mirror and say, wait, let me go back. What did I, I don't remember what I looked like. Now we know when we got good days and we get, get bad days and maybe we're a hot mess that day or whatever, we're just like, ah, I'm gonna stay away from that mirror or whatever, you know, like it just, but we never, we never forget. Now we might ignore and say, oh yeah, I need a haircut or ah, you know, whatever. Or hey, I look good today, whatever it may be. But I think that mindset, do we, we don't do that. But that's what it's talking about. Yeah, that's ridiculous. You're like, I got to go back because I forgot what my face looks like. If you ever see yourself in a picture, you're not, you don't walk up to the picture and say, man, who is this guy? I mean, that's just never been a part of the thought process. But it's, it's that, it says it's that ignorant when we hear the word and we don't do it and we're not paying attention to it. So what he's talking about, he says, don't just be hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. When you do what the word says, you'll be blessed. Flip that scripture around. When we don't do what the word says, what happens, kids? What's the opposite of blessed? Deceived? Well, it says we will deceive ourselves, but what's opposite of blessings? You have blessings or you have, we don't like this other word, cursed, right? So I'm like, we can't be cursed. Well, if you're not blessed, work that out, right? Pray about that. See what God says about that. Because if you're not blessed, there's always the alternative. But we just like to stay on one side of that, right? But he talks about how 
Um, but this, this is one thing right here. He says, also, human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. How many of you have ever had or have or are working through anger issues? How many of you, your anger has ever got the best of you? And then when you go back and think about how you acted or you visualize what you just did, you're like, oh, I'm like a big kid, <laughs> right? In our, in our angry, I used to call it, I used to call, you know, that was one thing that God really changed in my life when I got saved was just my anger. I used to have what I call stupid anger. Sorry, kids, if you don't use that word. But that's really what it was. It was just disconnected. I wouldn't think about what I was doing, and I would just get angry. But it says that type of anger can ruin your testimony. It can ruin it, right? It totally makes it to where it, it no longer matters, right? It says that when you don't keep a tight rein on your tongue, you deceive yourself, and your religion is what? Worthless. Well, I'm a follower of Christ, but I just got anger issues. Oh, I ask the Lord to help you with that, right? Okay? So we have to understand first and foremost, there's a lot of meat in that context, but we need to be what? Doers of the word. So everything we challenge you with this morning that the word says we should do, we should be doing it. Amen? So we're without excuse to some degree. That's why we need the church. That's why we need accountability. That's why we need friends that'll get in our business sometimes and encourage us to be Christ-like. So in scripture, we have to know that also scripture is sharp. It's active. It's alive. It always accomplishes the work that it was intended to accomplish. Do you realize that? So the word uh, requires action, it requires movement, it requires a action, a response on your part. So in Hebrews 4.12 and Isaiah 55.11, if you're jotting notes down, that's where you can reference all of those, that man, the word of God works, okay? So the practical commission is a mission that we as followers of Christ have been invited to be a part of. We think about the commission when he called the disciples. It was an option to be a part of the big picture of what he was doing, right? So it's the same today. So what we have to do, we have to be intentional about sharing the message of Jesus with others. And sometimes that goes a lot further than inside the four walls of the church. Okay? So this morning, we're going to look at three requirements to having a successful, practical mission. So uh, we're going to focus on three things. First and foremost, telling others what Jesus has done. It's one of the most important right? If you've never done that, you say, man, I, I just never thought of that. So that's the first thing. We got that slide up there? I don't know what, there you go. So telling others what Jesus has done. That's the first thing we're looking at. Secondly, trusting God will do what he said he will do. That's a big one because that's relying on God to do his part as I do my part, as I co-labor with Christ. And then thirdly, bringing all people into a real relationship with Christ. Where does that phrase come from? Does anybody know? The end of our mission statement. And that's where we collaborate as a church strategically to bring all people towards a relationship with God. So let's look at Matthew 5, 14 through 16. It's, and I shared this last week, but it says, you are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven. So we have to know, guys, that our testimony, it's a big deal. It is a big deal. It's very important. Did you know that, you know, um, your testimony, if you destroy your testimony, do you know that it silences your voice to the hearer? You realize that? If you act like a fool and you're all angry and you're acting all, I'll just call it sinful, and then you're like, oh, well, you really need Jesus. It's like, <laughs> you need Jesus. You know, you, you just, you totally, anything that you had to stand on, you just messed it up. So when I think I talk about that anger, when we act a fool and we're angry, it says that your testimony, and it's, it's, it's useless. 
So we have to guard how we live, what our testimony looks like. So your actions need to match your words. Your words need to match your actions. Those things should work hand in hand. What's one of the famous words every parent? Because I said so. Do as I say, not as I do. But let me tell you that one of the most powerful examples as a parent is when you not only say it, but you reflect it. It's important. Don't say, hey, you should pray, you should read your word. Hey, have you done that today? And then they backfire on you say, well, mom, did you do that? Dad, did you do that? Oh, never mind. I'm not arguing with you. We get mad because what our kids did, they just reflected in a mirror what we might be looking like. You know, uh, I think parents sometimes, it's funny. Hopefully the kids don't use any of this against us since they're in here with us this morning. But, you know, I think that they are, they are just sitting there watching our actions. They're watching what we do. You know, and I think it's one of the hardest things when our, when our kids get smart enough and old enough that they say, well, mom, aren't you supposed to be your dad? Aren't you? And you're like, well, yeah. And I think at that moment, guys, we got, we got a chance to just respond and repent and say, you know what? You're right. I'm not modeling that. And hey, this, let's model it. So we grow together as a family unit. You know, uh, I know, you know, when you don't have kids, man, it's easy street. You know, if I, you know we, went on, we went on a date this weekend and we didn't have kids. It's like, oh, to be young again. Right? You don't have your kids, no responsibility. We had great, great, great young people watching our kids, so we didn't have to worry about nothing. Right? But, you know, that responsibility, that working through it, that God uses our kids to change us. You know that? All the time. Okay? So your testimony is how others see you, and it, and it can be defined as your witness, how you act, how you behave, even what you say, okay? So it's, it's that one time that you lose your cool, and you reacted in an unchurched kind of way, and, and it destroys that testimony. Did you know that judgmental people will only remember the one time you messed up? Well, I remember that one time you got all mad. It's like, one time, and you deserved it. We just, but that, the, a judgmental person is waiting for that one moment that you ruin your testimony. So when we have a goal of telling others what Jesus had done, has done in our life and what he's done, our lifestyle has to reflect that. Okay? But telling others what Jesus has done. Okay? So, kids, help me with this. What is this right here? What does, what does it represent? It represents God. Oh, it represents Jesus. Okay, so what did Jesus do? He died on the cross. Why did he die on it? To forgive our sins. So he died. Did he stay dead? What happened? How long, how long did it take him to, to come back to life? Three days. What happened after that three days? He didn't, did he go on vacation? But where did, where did Jesus go after he came back to life? Heaven? So where is he at in heaven now? Right hand of God. What is he doing at the right hand of God? Watching. Oh, yeah, he's watching, sadly. <laughs> what else is he doing? It says that Jesus is now praying for us on our behalf. He's that mediator that fixed everything. Okay, so I, I want to show you something. Every kid answers some of these questions, right? Some of us as adults are so fearful to explain to people what Jesus had done. So here's where I would challenge you. If between these young kiddos had the right answers, you have the right answers. You just got to be bold and say what you already know. You realize that? Well, I don't know what to say. Talk about the cross. Talk about the blood. Talk about forgiveness. 
You know, the gospel is really, really simple. It's not something overcomplicated. We feel like it should be overcomplicated, but it's really not. But we got to tell people what Jesus has done in our life. Have you ever mentioned to someone that Jesus loves you? Have you ever said that? Those specific words, I'm not talking about, hey, I'm praying for you. Hey, come to my church. Have you ever told somebody specific, said, you know what? Man, Jesus loves you. Just that statement will radically shake some people's lives. And I'll tell you what, it may spark a whole nother conversation. Well, what do you mean he loves me? Well, what did he do for me? What about the cross? What about the blood? What about all these things? And I'm telling you, if from babes and infants, they can speak the right words, and that has been deposited in them, how much us as the mature Christians should be able to give the testimony for which we believe in. So telling others what Jesus has done, we need to know what he's done. So think about what Jesus has done for you and tell people about it. That, that's, that's all it is. Man, I was a sinner. And then, man, God drastically changed my life. I was angry like Hulk rage, angry, stupid, angry. And God changed all of that. Right? You know, I mean, I think just share your testimony. Your testimony. Do you know nobody can argue with your testimony? Now, there's some scriptures and there's some stories in the Bible that people may argue with and say, well, I don't know about that. But when you say, hey, let me tell you what, I was blind, but now I see. I was sinful, but now I have been made righteous. I used to do those things and I couldn't stop and I was addicted to them. And then I came to the cross. I didn't even know what it represented. But I felt the love of Jesus over my life and it changed everything. You know, we, we have a world out there that needs Jesus. And unless we tell the world what Jesus has done for us and what he has done, we will not be fulfilling a practical commission. But if we share what Jesus has done, we will be all participating in sharing that practical commission. So we, we've explained what Jesus has done. So really the two things that make up really the essence for our faith is believing and confessing. So what is it believing in? It's believing in the birth, believing in the life, the death, the resurrection, and the glorification. Let me cover these super quick just to help you establish a little bit more secure foundation if you don't understand what I'm talking about. So when I talk about the birth of Jesus, that he was conceived by the Holy Spirit and that he was all God and he was all man. We just got to know that, you know, like, was he God? Well, yeah, he was all God, but he was all man. Well, how was he born? Well, he was born by, and it's kind of mind boggling but that's what scripture says. He was born by the Holy Spirit. So he was, his birth, his life, that Jesus was perfect, that he was sinless, that he was the, the spotless sacrificial lamb. And, and, you know, he was the only restitution for sin and death. We would have had to keep making sacrifices on some type of altar, which the new altar was the cross, that once and for all, that blood would be shed for the forgiveness of not just that one sin and that one offense, but for the sins of the world. And then his death, he actually died. I think we got to realize that. He was dead three days, but he didn't stay there. Okay? So, um, you know, that he, had, that he was resurrected, that Jesus, you know, he died and, and, you know, he raised again just like he said he would, and he is alive and well. And then he just didn't, he just didn't resurrect, but he was also glorified. Now he sits in heaven praying for us that we might prevail with our time here on earth. He says, Lord, don't, don't take them out of, the earth, out of the world, 
but we need to but send them the comforter, send them the Holy Spirit, be with them, be with, be with them just like you were with me. And that was his heart. Kids, you know John 3.16, what does it say? For God so loved the world that he what? Gave. They know this scripture? Do they, I'm not saying can they read it. Do they know this scripture? I'm not asking you, son. Be quiet. <laughs> Does anybody else besides my son know the scripture? All right, adults, let's help them. Let's all say this together. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Man, it, that, that's so significant but so deep. And, and I, I just think that these things need to permeate when we're telling about what Jesus has done, these things have to come out. We have to believe. We have to confess. Romans 10, 9 through 10, it says that it is with, that you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that, that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. That's a pretty easy formula. Wasn't, it doesn't sound too complicated, right? So, I mean, that's it. But there has to be faith. There has to be belief. There has to be trust. And it says, and it is with the heart that the person believes, resulting in righteousness, and it is with their mouth that he confesses, resulting in salvation. So Jesus offers this free gift of salvation, forgiveness of sin, because he became sin for us, and he's the only way to heaven. We have to, so in sharing our testimony, in really telling others what Jesus has done, let our lives reflect what our words are saying. And it's so important. So important. And I completely jumped over that quote from St. Francis. It says, preach the gospel at all times, and when necessary, use words. You know, I, I, did, I did some research on this, and they said, that's not even what the guy says. That's just how they translate. I said, okay, well, I don't want to lie if that's not what he said. But this is what he did say prior to them coining the new phrase. It says, it is no use walking anywhere to preach unless our walking is our preaching. Which really, in a nutshell, communicates everything I'm saying. Let your life reflect the testimony that you're speaking with your mouth. Amen? Okay? Also, we got to open our mouths. It says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So you can only hear something when that's spoken. That's Romans 10, 17. Okay? So we need each of you guys, everywhere you go, telling others what Jesus has done. Secondly, trusting God will do all that he said he will do. How many of you know this is a big one? Because that, that, that's, that's where our trust, that's where our confidence lies, right? So we have to have faith, you know, our unwavering trust in God that he'll come through and do his part. How many of you know that sometimes it takes faith to do our part, right? But we have to also have faith that what? God will likewise do his part. So I'm going to do an example this morning to show you kind of what faith and what confidence is. Samuel, I need you to come up here with me real quick. Samuel has no clue what we're doing this morning. All I said is I need help. Okay? So I need you to come over here. I need you to stand right a little further. Look at me. Keep your eyes on me. Do not look anywhere else. Okay? So we have to trust that God will do what he says he will do. We have to keep our eyes 100% on the Father, even when we don't know what the outcome is. Right? You trust me? You sure? As your father, you trust me. Have I been, have you, can, have you trusted me previously? Sometimes. Sometimes, no? 
You trust me today? Okay, so keep looking at me, all right? So we always have to trust that God, when he tells us to do something, that, that we can believe that he's going to come through, right? But how many of you know faith requires an action, right? And when God says do something, he doesn't, we don't always know what the outcome is. Keep looking. If you look away, you're grounded forever, okay? So we don't always know, and sometimes what God will tell us scares us. And we say, I don't know, Lord. Are you sure? And then when he says do it, we got an opportunity, right? So I want you to go like this. Can you close your eyes? No. <laughs> Why not? You... Oh, okay. Good answer. Take one more step back. Are you, are you scared? Yes. You're nervous? Okay. Do you trust me? You sure you trust me? Okay. I need you to close your eyes and I need you to fall straight back. What? <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. I need you to fall straight back. You ready? Okay. Fall. Just go. <laughs> Close your eyes. Close your eyes. You trust me? Yes. You know I won't let you hurt yourself, right? Take, take one more step back. You're, you're running away from the side. Look at me. Close your eyes. All right. Listen to my voice. And on the count of three, you're just going to fall back, okay? One, two, three. <laughs> okay. Okay, come on. I need you to come over here now. All right, come up here, please. All right, I need you to stand right here. I need you to turn, turn towards me. I need you to stay right there and keep looking at me. Okay, once God has tested us once and we know that he's been faithful, it's easy to trust again. Now, I'll tell you what, I bet that heart rate was going bonkers when, when I pushed him. <laughs> Another good thing, if it went wrong, he's my son. So what next time I say, Samuel, do you trust me? Are you going to be okay? Yeah. Whatever I ask you to do, you'll do it. Mm -hmm. I need you to cross your, cross your arms, close your eyes, and now I want you to fall back on your own. I'm not going to push you this time. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Samuel. You can come down. So we got to trust God that God will do what only he can do. And sometimes we don't know until we let go and we fall back that something's there to catch us. You guys didn't see his eyes when he went over the edge. <laughs> And it's not enough to kill him, but it's enough to scare him. So we trust God that he's going to do what he says he's going to do. But what, Samuel, was it easier? Samuel, was it easier to fall back the second time? Yeah. Was it still a little scary? Faith is like that every single time, guys. It always requires some risk. The guys catching were laughing because they knew what was going to happen. I thought about doing it to an adult, but I don't think an adult would have fell back. <laughs> I'm like, uh, Pastor Noe, I'm resigning from membership of this church right now. I'm not doing it, right? But we got to trust God that he'll do all that he says he will do. You know, he says at the end of that great commission, it says, surely I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So his promise is to never leave or forsake you. You know, there was that one moment in time where Jesus looked up to heaven and he says, Father God, why have you forsaken me? And I believe that that was that moment that for that one split second, Jesus felt abandoned by his father. But do you realize that he forsook the son one time so that he would never have to forsake us? You realize that? The, Jesus Christ bore everything so that we could receive everything. What? All right. So we have to know that it, Father God will always come through. You know, if God's effective work works, we'll see transformation in the lives of others. If God does not come through when we're, when we're sharing what Jesus has done, do you realize we're just convincing somebody rather than having any heart transformation? 
But it's trusting that what? God will do all he said he will do. We need God's power. We need God's help. 1 Corinthians 4.20 in the NIV, it says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. And that's what we need in our lives. As, as, we, as, we, do, as we trust God to do all that he said he would do, we need his power in our lives. He need, we, need, we need to allow him to do that only what he can do. You know, the scripture says, no one comes to the Father unless I draw them. John 14, 6 in the NIV, Jesus answers. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He had to go through the Son. Then if we look at John 6, 39 through 44 in the NIV, I'm going to read this real quick. It says, and this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all of those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. So he's talking about us, okay? Verse 40, it says, for my father's will is that everyone who looks to the son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up in the last day. Um, at this, the Jews there began to grumble. They began to get mad. They began to get frustrated. And he, because he had, he had mentioned, he says, I am the bread of life who came down from heaven. So they get all bent out of shape, said, hey, how did you come down from heaven? How are you the bread of life? Are you really declaring to be the son of God? And Jesus is like, yeah, absolutely. But that was mind-boggling at the time. They're like, this makes no sense, right? You know, so he says, you know, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can it be now that he says he came down from heaven? And he, Jesus says to them, he says, stop grumbling, stop being frustrated. And Jesus answers, he says, no one can come to, to me unless the father who sent me draws them and I will raise them up in the last day. So we can be confident that as we do our part, God will do his part. Unless God begins to draw the hearts of men, there is nothing we can do. Unless the Holy Spirit brings us to that place of repentance, there's nothing we can do. But we do need to speak the truth of God's word. We do our part, and what do we do? We trust God that he will do all that he said he will do. So we serve a faithful God, trusting in who he is. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 through 24, it says, uh, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept, kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 24 if you remember one thing that I say this morning, besides me throwing my son off the platform, the one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. What will he do, Pastor Noe? Whatever he needs to. As you do part, your part, he does his part. We have to trust that God will do all that he said he will. I think some of you have been at a place where you're right on the corner and you want to make sure you're going to be okay before you're obedient. But sometimes we don't see the power and we don't see God come through in a mighty way unless we just jump. You know, and I guess, I guess where we got to get to, you know, and I know this is a radical statement, but if I die, I die. You're like, well, I don't want to die. But if you do, remember the cross. It's going to, I mean, you know, the end of this life is just the beginning of another. Now, like, you're like, you know, don't, don't think too much into that because you're like, what about my family? What about, just think about it. If we can get past that place and say, if I die, I die. I know where I'm going to go. And if it's for the sake of glorifying and advancing the kingdom of God, so be it. But if God says, jump, I jump. If he says, close my eyes and lean back, I close my eyes and lean back. And I'll tell you what, if you've ever been in something like that where you're doing something that is not normal or not, your mind is like, you big idiot, what are you doing? 
you know you're going to die, and you're like, yeah, I know I'm going to die. I don't want to do it. You know, and we fight, we fight in the flesh, in our minds. But when the Spirit of God says jump. So we always have to be obedient, trusting that God will do what he, what he said he'll do. Um, think about Peter on the water. How many of you kids know the story? What, what, what was Peter doing in the boat? Fishing. He wasn't fishing. They were trying to go across. And who did they see walking on the water? God. Jesus? You think Jesus was nervous when he was walking on that water? He was just taking a stroll. What did, what did it say, the disciples, when the disciples saw him, what did they say when they saw him? Is it a, a ghost? They, you know, they could not even recognize who Jesus was. And, you know, they said, is this a ghost? Who is it? And Jesus, I guess he's just walking. He's like, no, it's me, Jesus. And I mean, I think at that moment, okay, so think about this. I'm watching someone walk on water, but it just so happens he's the son of God. So I guess he can pull it off, right? But even though I know that, in my mind, it still does not make sense. And then, then what happens? Jesus approaches the boat, and what does Peter say? He says, if it is you, Lord, ask me to what? Ask me to come out on the waters with you. So what do you think Peter was doing when he stepped out of that boat and he was going to walk on the water? Have you ever thought of how do you walk on water? Is it firm? Is it soft? Does it feel like jello? Have anybody ever walked on water? No, I've walked on a frozen lake. Walking on water. You think it felt like jello? Yeah. You know, you think about that, you know, because, and how do you step, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of, I'll be kind of like, like, I mean, and then it holds and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm walking. And then he takes another step. He looks at Jesus and then it says he freaks out and he looks at the storm and he begins to sink. And Jesus reaches out his hand and said, oh, ye of little faith. If you would have kept your eyes fixed on me. That was one thing about this example too, right? Keep looking at me. Well, yeah, but you, I'm right on the edge. Hey, keep looking at me. I'm scared. Hey, keep looking at me. But we know that God will always be faithful to do his part. God will do what he said he will do. Every single time. Um, we have to trust and not doubt. And I know that's hard, especially when you're walking through it. I guarantee you, if, I would, if any of you that I would have picked, man, this would have been a struggle. I didn't tell Samuel anything what I was doing because I didn't want to set it up. I didn't want to be like, oh, yeah, sure, Dad, like because that's not normal. I wanted to feel all those emotions, all of those things, all of those fears, all of those, but what if, and what if nobody's there? And, and the first time I pushed them just to add a little excitement, just like, oh, you know. But I think God does that sometimes because he wants to test us and say, man, do you, will you really trust me? Even when it doesn't make sense. We're okay trusting God when it makes sense, right? But can we trust God when it doesn't make sense? Number three, bringing all people into a real relationship with Christ. This is something that's part of our uh, mission statement here at the church. We have to bring people in. It's our responsibility. It, it, we have to co-labor. We all have to be a part of this. So the word bringing is an action word that involves helping others find what you have found. It's that simple. You know, you're like, well, what are, what are, we, what are we bringing them to? Are we bringing them to a party? What are we like? What, we are striving to help others find what we have found, and that's Christ. So in that model, sometimes, yeah, it is tangibly like, hey, let's bring them to church. Or like, hey, let's, you know, but that bringing is also sometimes telling others. Christ has done. 
Or sometimes, you know, it's just, it's just trusting God will do what he said he will do. You know, it's leading people towards and bringing them near to God to discover the hope that is only found in him. Proverbs 11.30 in the New American Standard, it says, The fruit of righteousness is the tree of life, and he who wins souls, or he is wise who wins souls. How many of you have ever, maybe, have any of you ever not thought about investing in winning souls? Like, I just didn't realize that. I thought that was for pastors. I thought that was for evangelists. Maybe I thought that was for missionaries. Do you realize that is part of your commission is to win souls? You know, that's the most important thing, guys. Who cares how long you've been in the church? You know, who cares how long you've been? Man, I've been in church my whole life. Do you know Christ? If you died today, do you know you'd go to heaven? Or would you be guilty and be required to go to hell? Man, I, that, that to me is the most important thing, the question we will ever ask. One of the biggest questions, right? You know, and I think it's so hard sometimes where the only time we think about that or we communicate that is on somebody's deathbed. But we're not guaranteed tomorrow. Man, we're at a place in culture where we don't know what's going to happen. And you better be sure of what you believe in and that, you know, that the people you're around, that you are telling what Christ has done. You know, so in, in Christ's model, you see that most of Jesus' ministry, was it in the church? Was it in the synagogue? He was always in the streets. He was with people. He was loving people. He was ridiculed and, and said, when, why are you spending time with sinners and all of these people that are not the church? And he says, I did not come to call the righteous, but I've called those who are sick, those who are in need of salvation. That was the focus. Now, it's not that he didn't love the others, but the other ones were safe. He was out rescuing the one and what looked ignorant, leaving the 99, but he knew that the 99 were safe, right? So some, one of the other ways that we can do as far as bringing people in is by a personal invite. Did you know the number one reason people visit a church is personal invitation? Man, I was reading some, you know, um, Barnum, they, they do a whole bunch of different surveys and all these things, you know, looking at why people invite people, why people don't invite people. And man, some of those were kind of staggering. You know, some of them were like, well, I don't think it's my responsibility to invite people to church. And I was like, whose responsibility is it? You may be that only person that has interaction. You, you, in, you are encountering people that I will never encounter. So if you expect me to do it and I'm never around those people, we're going to miss them. But that personal invitation is the number one reason people attend a church. Hey, come to church with me. I would encourage you, if you've never invited somebody to church, try it. Man, I hope you guys are excited about our church. It's like, man, I don't want to invite nobody to that on my church. They think it's crazy, right? You know, I hope, we, hope their church is enjoyable. And you're like, man, we want as many people as possible to be a part of this. You know, that you're fed, that you're encouraged, that you're challenged, that we're living life together, and we want as many people as possible to be a part of our family. That's what it's all about. So we'll do our part. You've got to do your part. So that personal invite. How many of you would not be here today if you weren't invited? How many of you were invited to church and that was the first time you visited? Raise your hand a little bit higher. So you one chance, all right? Yeah, so, man, there's a bunch of you. You wouldn't be here if you weren't invited. Think about that. You know, like, okay, let's, all right, the 25 of y'all, let's just kick you out. We don't, we're not, we don't care about them. No, 
but if we don't invite, that's what we're saying sometimes. Some of you here this morning are a you know, direct result of somebody inviting you. So that part of bringing in, that's what that looks like. It's getting outside the four walls of the church. Secondly, one thing we got to highlight, we can't sit around in the church and just sit here and pray and say, all right, Lord, bring them to us. All right, convict their heart, make them come to church today. But we do that. We're so guilty of that. But we don't go out that bringing. That's not passively sitting. That bringing is getting outside the four walls of the church saying, hey, come here. I want to show you something. I want to invite you to somewhere. Hey, I know you've been going through, through a lot. I want you to go somewhere. Where are we going? We're going to church. So one of the things we have to realize, you know, um, the answer is always, almost, is go to church. So let me, let me tell you what I'm talking about. Some of us sometimes, you know, we're going through hard things in life. We're going through things. Sometimes we're, we're looking, you know, you're looking to find a relationship. You're looking to find hope. You're looking to find healing, restoration, comfort. You know, you, you're wanting to grow in the things of faith. You're wanting to receive all these things that you need to be successful in your life. You know what the answer is? Go to church. Now, I know for a long time, we're just like, oh, well, church can't fix. It absolutely can. I'm a byproduct of it. The church has met every need I've ever had. Why? Because I found people who loved God. I had people who were trusting God to do what he could only do, but I had people also doing their part who loved me when I was not unlovable. When I was that little punk kid deserving to be backhanded because of my anger and stupidity. Right? I had people love me. I had youth group leaders that put up with me. I'm just going to say that. Put up with me. But it was that bridge. But think about that. How many people in the world are looking for these things? So our answer a lot of times needs to be, you need to go to church. Right? That's the answer. When I'm looking for hope, when I'm looking to be healed, when I'm looking for community, when I'm looking for the things that matter in life, what's the answer? Go to church. Okay? So we as a church can't always just wait around and expect people to show up or come to church. We as the church and as disciples of Christ have to be part, part of the harvesting, the gathering of people. Got to do it. What does the Bible say? It says, man, the harvest is it's plentiful. But it says what? The laborers and the workers are few. That's what it says. We all want to benefit from the harvest but we don't want to go do the work to pull the harvest in. Some of you might, you know, as I'm talking about this, some of you might know, like, man, there's this person I need to invite that I just haven't been, or I've wanted to, but it's just hadn't been right. Whatever, whatever, whatever justification, you know, you're making to, of why you haven't. But I think as the Spirit of God leads us connecting with people, bringing people in, that we would partner with Him in doing all that He wants to do. Ultimately, we all need to bring people into the family of God. Which people? All people. I think sometimes, have, you, have y'all ever been nervous of inviting somebody that you're like, ooh, I don't know if I should invite that person. You ever done that? That person's too rough. Or, man, Pastor Noah wouldn't want me bringing that guy. Hey, you get him here and we'll believe God to do his part. It's not me that does the work. It's not me that does the cleansing and the cleaning and all that stuff. All I do, I'm just an advocate of the Lord that speaks the truth of God's word, but that word is effective and active and it will penetrate the hearts of sinners. I can't do anything. But if I trust God to do all that he says to do, we'll see great things happen. Amen? So to have a successful practical commission for God, we must actively, first and foremost, tell others what Jesus has done. 
Trust that God will do all that he says he'll do. Any of you challenged with that this morning? You said, man, I, you know, I'm kind of right there. I kind of trust God, but my actions don't. Like, you know, like either, man, if we trust God, man, we're going to begin to live courageously and, you know, adventurous. It's like, man, you're crazy. No, I'm just trusting in God. And then thirdly, bringing all people into a relationship with Christ. You guys stand up with me. Thank you for joining us for the Harvest Time Church podcast. We hope you've been encouraged and empowered. If you'd like more information about our family, please write us at 42 FM 2540 South, Bay City, Texas 77414. Or check us out on the web at harvesttimebaycity.com.